Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket, the place where inspiring healthcare leaders come and talk about best practices and how to improve outcomes. Today, I have an outstanding guest. His name is Sanjay Joshi. He's the Chief of Technology, Healthcare, and Life Sciences at H2O.ai. Sanjay Joshi has done a lot. He's based in Seattle. 25-plus year career, he spanned the entire gamut of life sciences and healthcare from clinical and biotechnology research to healthcare informatics to medical devices. A skunk works engineer, bioengineer, and informicist, he defines himself as a non-reductionist with a systems view of the world. His current focus is a systems-level understanding of healthcare, genomics, protomedics, microbiomics, imaging, and IoT processes, and data infrastructures. I'm going to go ahead and pause there for a second and just flip over the microphone to Sanjay so he could round out that introduction. Sanjay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Saul. It's great uh, to be on. Uh, it's a gorgeous day outside, and I'm, I'm feeling happy. <laughs> <laughs> that is great, Sanjay. And you're over in Seattle. Do you guys have sun today? We've had a, one of the warmest summers. I think it's uh, running on, I believe, 55 days over 70 degrees or wow. 60 days. Over, and it's that much time without rain. And the little rain we've gotten is less than a tenth of an inch in the last 60 days, which is not good for us, but we are the evergreen state, remember? So. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, hey, you know, take it when you can and, I know. Uh, I know. and enjoy and soak it in. So, you know, Sanjay, yeah. uh, you've done so much in your career. I'm really excited to just kind of dive into some of that, but why did you decide to get into the medical sector? So just to round off what I have done, I kind of define myself as a curious guy. I'm somewhat of a healthy skeptic and I would say a real world optimist and a constant learner. So I'm always learning. And I, I've had that. And to answer your, your question, why did I get into the field? I had a very Renaissance grandfather. He was a trained physician. He was talking about things like holistic medicine and microbiome and other things oh, in wow. the late 50s. He actually repaired his own shoes, had an electrical repair kit. He taught me how to <laughs> tile. And we'll talk about tiling and stuff later. Uh, <laughs> All right. So this guy was uh, one of my mentors, and I've had very good mentors, and that's, that's actually a good thing to have during your career and your education. So that's one of the reasons. Wow, that's um, awesome. He sounds like a really, really neat, neat guy and, and somebody that guided you well. And a realist as well. So understanding that we don't understand everything about the human body yet, and that's a continuing journey. And to think that in the 50s, he was already thinking about the microbiome and, and just, you know, that whole space that I feel like is just taking off right now and being understood. Yep. And he said, dirt is good. And that's a great book by um, another great guy at the University of Chicago named Jack Gilbert. You guys should go read that book. But he said, you know, when you're a kid under six months old, you should attack the immune system. Let the other bugs attack the immune system and your immune system gets stronger. But we'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. Dirt is good. Oh, man, I've added that to the list. And so you're doing a lot of great things at H2O.ai. And I want to make sure that the listeners understand what the company does before mm -hmm. we dive into some of the topics here. So do you mind kind of just explaining to the listeners? I think we wanted to take AI, and there's a whole lot of controversy with AI. 
the way I define AI is what I call augmented intelligence. We like really that. don't understand what intelligence is in humans yet. So our goal is to build an AI platform for the masses. In other words, it should be easily available, not just to the unicorn data scientists, but anybody who can utilize the knowledge that some of these guys have, have defined since the 60s, actually. So data science is a fairly old field. It used to be called statistics a long time ago. And make it distributed and parallelized. So that's one goal. The name H2 actually came from Hadoop 2.0. Hadoop, in my view, was a beautiful mover of data. I think we're still trying to understand all the nooks and crannies that we could make it better at. But I think the goal, as our CEO, Sri, elegantly puts it, we need to have clean, flowing, multi-format, and abundant analytics, as abundant as water, actually. The word H2O didn't come from water. It came from Hadoop 2.0. But it kind of works, right? (laughs) It kind of works. And also hide the complexity and the mystery. Water is a very complex molecule. So that's kind of a very brief introduction to the company. I love it. No, and that's great. I, I love the metaphors there and just kind of the, the, the thought of clean, flowing, multi-format and just available to all. And one of the things that I'm curious about is what are you guys focused on over there? What do you think a hot topic that should be on every medical leader's agenda today? I would kind of put it into three different areas. The first area to me, having done data for a long, long time, is to separate the signal from the noise. So I'm sure your audience reads the lay press and there's another breakthrough or a miracle cure or a category changing technology every day. And I would say that we need to, as physicians and technologists, generate clean data first. And I didn't say this phrase. This phrase actually came from a very good colleague from a very large company whose name I shall not mention, that there's two broad (laughs) categories of data. And the first broad category is that there's only clean data or dirty data. And by the way, there's never any clean data. It's all data is dirty. That's the first type. The second type is data you own versus data you don't own. And there is no data you don't own. It's, uh, you always have to have data that you own. And this is the whole issue of data sharing and some other things that, that come by. But as physicians, as technologists, I think we need to learn how to generate clean data for the future. I think we need to train physicians, nurses, administrators, and the technologists who work with that data set at the end to understand what clean data means. And the last thing I would say is never forget that it is ultimately about the care and treatment of human beings, that technology is just a, a helper, a tool for that. So I think as hot topics, I'm kind of invested in all of the three things I mentioned. The first two pieces were technology and the, the third piece was vision. No, for sure. And how do you work on getting cleaner data? I think what I said was training physicians. I used to be at Dell before I moved to H2O. And Dell actually has a medical school in Austin, Texas. And one of the goals is to teach informatics and how to understand data sets as you're going through med school. And I think we need to have the same for anybody that touches data and touches patients. Yeah, so that's probably know, the first step. I think that's such a great call out, Sanjay, because when I was at a, a health IT conference not too long ago, and one of the things that was noted by one of the physician speakers was that he asked the crowd, how many physicians are sitting in the audience? And there was probably like two hands out of three <laughs> or 400 that were there. It's pretty sad, yes. It's pretty sad. And I think this is a great call out that you make. Who's responsible for this? How should it be handled in your opinion? I'm a big systems level guy. So I was at the HIMSS meeting last year in in Florida. And again, 
and just to confirm your numbers, only about two to three percent of the attendees are physicians. And I think when you touch IT, it's one of my personal goals now. All the panels I'm involved in, I try and invite two thirds of the panels should be physicians because they are the guys that are the last mile to treatment. That's the first thing we need to understand is how do you, you know, go in the shoes or or walk behind or follow physicians and see what they do day to day. And all the physicians I've talked to, and I'll get off my soapbox after this, have said <laughs> that, that you know, only if somebody else took care of the financial, the fiduciary and the insurance responsibilities, I can then really treat my patients. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to also understand where technology plays and where we can make the lives of the physicians easier. Uh, you bring up some really great points, uh, Sanjay. And so, you know, Thinking about H2O and potentially how H2O.ai is helping make data cleaner, can you give us an example of how you guys are doing this or or maybe even another focus that you all have to do things differently and make them better? So I'll tell you a very quick story and our kind of uh, core focus, if you will. So the quick story is a very large healthcare organization. I don't know if I can mention their name or not yet, so we'll we'll leave that mysterious for now. I think they're Mm going to publish this data set. It's a very large footprint, healthcare footprint, and they want to understand when the flu season was uh, starting in, I guess, the October-November timeframe. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control, most healthcare systems provide this data to the CDC. I think CDC actually is a very spiky, uh, asynchronous data set where I think it's every night it's loaded via email. So I think this organization wanted to understand the context of doing real-time predictions and real-time analytics. By the way, this organization has somewhat, probably some of the cleanest data sets in the business, and that helps a lot. And I think they've always maintained that giving the responsibility to the healthcare system is important. So our team predicted, this is before I came on board, our team predicted that the flu season would hit three weeks and one day after what the CDC had predicted. And remember, they have to mobilize a physician population of about a thousand or more folks. They have to mobilize nurses. They have to mobilize the vaccines. It's actually a pretty big to do. And they didn't believe this data set. So on day zero, as the CDC had predicted it, they actually were ready to go. It was called day zero. But it turned out that the prediction, it, actually we use what's called a gradient boost model, gradient boosting model, GBM. And the prediction was right to the day, by the way. And again, I come back to my context of having clean data to start with. And that training has been installed in this organization for a long time now. So that's a very quick story. And they want to try and do this for other stuff as well. The focus is, again, our core engine for AI is open source. So we've always taken this approach that we need to get the wisdom of the masses who actually work on these models and provide that as an open source engine. Of course, we have a supported model for enterprise-based customers and so on. Following that, let the customers and users be the prime movers of the innovation that will happen in AI and machine learning and deep learning. AI is kind of the umbrella term, machine learning and deep learning are the methods on how you do it. My CEO, uh, Sri Ambadi, always talks about data and beauty. And this is where I'll, I'll bring in uh, Frank Zappa. So Frank Zappa used to have this, he's a great guitarist and a very interesting musician. In, I think in the late 70s, 78, 79, there was an album called Joe's Garage Act the Third, in which there's a song. And these are actually lyrics from the song. I'm, okay. I'm not making this up. The first part is uh, uh, kind of parenthesized. It's data is not information. Information is not knowledge. Knowledge is not truth. Truth is not wisdom. Wisdom is not beauty. And beauty is not music. So these are lyrics from 1979. It's all about data analysis. So as my CEO, Shri, tells me, you know, how do you move from data to beauty to music? 
And how do you build that bridge? Of course, my mom taught English, and she promptly, when I, when I called and told her this, she said, no, 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 it was not Frank Zappa. It was T.S. Eliot. He actually wrote a play in the 30s called The Door, I believe, uh, or The Third Door or something like that. And uh, it, Frank picked the lyrics from that, uh, ah, okay. from one of the scenes. But it's even older. So <laughs> the essence of data analytics is even older than Frank. So there you go. It's that infinite intelligence and the application of timeless principles that really help us kind of guide ourselves in, in this journey, right? Uh, yeah, actually, the first day, big data law was written in 1703. This is the other joke. It's Friday. So I'll tell you another little joke. First, <laughs> not a joke per se, but this is an old field. So 1703, there was a guy, a statistics professor at University of Basel. His name was uh, Jacob Bernoulli, not the guy who did the physics, but his uncle, actually, who wrote the theory, uh, the thesis. Uh, it's called the law of large numbers. You cannot get to the answer that you hypothesize with a small data set. You need to have a very, very large data set. It's called the law of large numbers, LLN. And again, as we kind of get into population health, we need to understand, you know, how do we move whatever we're doing in small data sets into very large data sets at community level, at state level, at country level, and finally to the world. So that's the wisdom, the beauty, and the music. I love it. I think that's great. And so can you share a time with the listeners, Sanjay, in your journey of a time that you made a mistake or had a setback? I feel like we learn more from our setbacks than our successes. <laughs> I'll tell you a personal story. And this is, again, you can kind of correlate this and causate maybe even to data and projects and budgets and so on. All right, so this summer, I decided to build a patio in my backyard or actually improve the patio. And I had this design in, the, in my mind and it was, it was an inch thick cement tile, a foot square. And you go into a project, some estimate, and I was wrong. And quite a few of the <laughs> estimates that I decided to make the patio much bigger, you know, it's a, probably a male of thing, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> so uh, the estimate of the amount of soil that needs to be filled in, soil is pretty heavy and takes a lot of volume. You don't understand that. And also when you add, we've had a really warm summer. So how does sand settle with very less humidity versus very high humidity? There's some other stuff as well requirements change. There's a lot of bias you go into this. And if bias is alive and well, and bias is actually one of those horned beasts that you have to be aware of in data analytics as well. And finally, I want to say, you know, making data-driven decisions. And to me, failure as not defined by me, but many other IT project guys in the healthcare field and beyond that say, if, you're, if your project runs two times over cost and two times over budget, then you'll fail. So in that sense, I failed. And that <laughs> taught me a lot of lessons. I have a beautiful patio, but you know, it, it took a lot of hard work and some re-estimation and re-budgeting. And I think this is a great analogy as well, Sanjay, because we look at, at our day-to-day objectives in healthcare, whether it be inside the walls of a hospital or whether it be population health, we have it, it's, it's kind of like our, our making the plans for our patio. And when you make it personal, when it's something near and dear to you, you want to make sure that you take note of how to not repeat those mistakes. And so if you had a message to share with our listeners about making data-driven decisions, what would it be based off that lesson that you learned? Well, uh, again, so the requirements change. So be aware that plan well have a plan B and a C. So I did a little stint with an FDA consultant, the Food and Drug Administration. So they have a thing called a business planning and risk planning. So you actually score, you go through the process in great detail. 
you score risk on every step in the process. And ultimately, you have to build three things which uh, guide you through the compliance uh, phases. Uh, the first thing is called installation qualification. So it's called the IQ. The second thing is called uh, operational qualification. Does the system work or not? And how does it work? And finally, the performance qualification. You know, does it work well or where's the set point and so on? So plan, understand there's risk, and make sure you have enough of a padding for the budget. And I would say ultimately make data-driven decisions and not decisions based on bias or prejudice or other yeah, no, that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. That's a great story and uh, and some really great experience that you weaved into that. Sanjay, let's take the other side of this. So you kind of shared a setback, but why don't you share one of your proudest leadership moments to date? So many years ago, I ran my own startup and my goal, I was probably too early for that. My goal was to build a universal protocol layer for all biomedical instrumentation, make it distributed, paralyzed. I've kind of stuck with distributed and paralyzed ever since. So I was a very interesting uh, lunch with this hematopathologist who was studying leukemia. And remember, you know, immune cells, there are B cells and T cells and helper cells and eosinophils and uh, neutrophils and so on. So our immune system is a very complexly tuned quantum of solace at some point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So leukemia comes in many different varieties, according to ICD. And I was actually studying B cells, so ALL and AML, so lymphoblastic leukemia and chronic leukemia and so on. So the challenge was to try and understand, there's a measurement technique called flow cytometry. Flow cytometry shines various different colors of lasers on the surface of immune cells. And the surface of immune cells have somewhere between 200 and 300 what are called clusters of differentiation or CD markers, they're biomarkers. So the challenge was to take what this hematopathologist had learned in almost 30 years of experience and put it into a computer system. The first thing he told me was, it looks like a ginger root. It was actually a three-dimensional thing across many different clusters of differentiation. And if you put different uh, markers, the ginger root shape changed. So there was a context to what he had learned in 30 years, but how do you put that into machine terms? So this was actually seven or nine dimensional data, which was seven colors of the laser plus forward and side scatter, which uh, surface of the cell and then the cross section of the cell. So mathematically, it was a nine-dimensional problem plus two other dimensions thrown in for good measure. So it was actually an 11-dimensional problem. Wow. So my team and I actually built this multidimensional analytics engine using spectral analysis and some other things that, that are very creative. And we actually built this and made it work. And it took a long time. Reproducibly? It is a clinical technique. So uh, the very visualization, cool. another goal for the audience is visualization is a very, very hard thing to do. It took a, our team a year plus to convert this 11-dimensional data into a two-dimensional chart that the physician could say yes or no. Are the cells going bad or not? Basically, mm-hmm. that's you know, there's stem cells, there's B cells that start going bad, which causes some of the diseases. So the, the data was clean. Again, I'll come back to this. And we had experiential data. So that, again, just throwing um, math at data is not enough. You have to have somebody who has a lot of experience in the context of what the data means. So that to me was a very proud moment. That sounds like a big win. And where is this technology now? Is it being used? Uh, so I believe it's being used. Uh, so he's what is called a reference lab. So the samples from leukemia are sent, and after uh, bone marrow graft uh, are done, so bone marrow transplants are done, is the disease coming back or not? So can you distinguish, let's say, five or ten cells in a million cells that are going bad? I mean, that's the kind of resolution you need to get to. 
early enough. And this is the whole promise of data for the future is if you can catch things early enough and resolve it. Wow. That's really fascinating, Sanjay. And it sounds like a really complex process that you and your team just kind of approached with creativity. And again, the theme of clean data, Outcomes Rocket listeners, if, if you're trying to make decisions, whether it be inside of your hospital or, or your med device company, pharma company, whatever it is that you're doing, make sure that you're using clean data and, and provide context, meaning people that have experience, whether it be somebody within your own team or if you go outside of your own company to make sure that you're making those right decisions. Sanjay, this is a, a hugely insightful. Appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. And that actually, that's actually a phrase for this. It's called data hygiene or there's a more technical term now called data engineering, which is about 80 or 90% of the project. I like it. Data hygiene. Keep it clean, baby. And so <laughs> tell us about an exciting project you're working on today, Sanjay. So our goal is to reduce wall clock time for some very complex statistics and mathematics. So I'll give you three quick examples. The first one is utilizing GPUs or graphical processing units, basically the Hmm. same cards that you run in your video game. Uh, They're very expensive, but now they're actually getting much better prices going down, just like anything with technology. They're getting miniaturized, they're using less power, so on and so forth. So Utilizing GPUs in a distributed and parallel sense for AI algorithms, you know, machine learning algorithms, deep learning algorithms. I can go on, but I, I don't want to bore your audience with level detail. So uh, wall <laughs> clock good. time seems, seems to be kind of one of the areas where they're saying, you know, how can I crunch the time available, let's say, to make a medical decision? And one thing I'll throw it in here is clinical decision support. CDS systems are, we need a, a leap in that area. So this is, again, all the wisdom that physicians bring to the table. How can you make decisions based on the data you're given as you're sitting in front of the patient or in the hospital room or ICU or wherever? So that shrinking of the time axis is becoming more and more important and also accuracy. So two things, accuracy and performance. I was going to say like Monty Python, there's three things. No, there's not. Uh, (laughs) Spanish Inquisition, right? Automation is another huge area we're looking at. So automation, I already talked about the complexity of visualization. Remember when the car was built, some of the other industries have taken this quite far. I live in the uh, land of Boeing. So Boeing had this massive project called DCAC MRM. They wanted to fly a plane by wire. So it's fly by wire planes. I think um, most modern airplanes have more than a million parts today and about six miles of wiring, some ridiculous amount of technology inside an airplane. And there is secondary and tertiary failover system. So they have done automation well. My only question is, you know, why has not healthcare gotten to doing automation and processes much better? So one of our goals is to take both the machine learning piece and automate it. So let data come as it may, in whatever form as it may, take it as a big fire hose or a pipe, automate the learning and the tools that you put on top of that raw data set, and then provide different models to the clinicians or the users of the data so that they can make good decisions based on the data coming to them. The second part I've already talked about is visualization, which is very hard to do. Can we automate visualization based on these complex data? And the final thing is feature engineering. So inside, hidden inside data are all these latent variables, feature sets. And so can you enhance those feature sets and data as, as it comes using solid engineering tools? So those are the three big areas that we're looking at. 
Uh, super interesting, Sanjay. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed and also personally, you know, I, as I started getting into this topic of, you know, machine learning, deep learning, AI the, being the kind of the umbrella of all of them, it was kind of hard for me to dig in and understand what would you say the promise of these technologies are to healthcare if you were to demystify it for some of the listeners that maybe have some questions about it? So I'll give you two use cases. I like to tell stories and provide use cases. So I was meeting a couple of colleagues. I'll give you two examples. So one colleague has a company called Arteris. Arteris is an imaging AI company. So it takes the image of the heart and then provides volumes of various chambers and and vessels in an automated fashion using machine learning and deep learning. They actually received FDA clearance for this process. So right now it is mature enough to get FDA clearance. The other company that I'm going to mention as a quick example is another radiology company called Enlytic. They look at things like stratifying patients who come in and say, if they have a lung nodule in a standard CT scan, how do you triage this patient? Does this patient need to go actually see somebody in critical care? Or is it just a normal cold that looks kind of funky on a CT scan? And that is also done, uh, I think they trained it on a 20,000 data set. So those are two very quick examples that come to mind. The third one, I already talked about the flu prediction. So there are many such examples out there. I think the question becomes, how do you productionize or productize some of these models? How do you learn continuously with more and more data? Remember my initial story about the law law of large numbers. And once you start getting to more complex things like uh, genetics and proteins and cell-based systems, how do you demystify that complexity? But first by solving simpler problems in healthcare. That's beautiful. Uh, Very eloquently uh, explained, Sanjay. Really appreciate that. And to the listeners, the other thing that, that Sanjay mentioned early in the show is think of AI as not artificial intelligence, but <laughs> augmented intelligence. Yep. And it's a tool that will serve all of our capabilities and improve the way that we're doing things. But we're not producing enough physicians. So there's a big dearth in pathologists, radiologists, clinical geneticists. Uh, for the future. And the question is, can some of these technologies augment the smaller population we have of the people who serve the patients and help the physicians and nurses and administrators, especially as we go, even in our great United States, 30% of it is rural. So what do we do about all the patients down in the Southeast and some of the middle parts of the country that are very rural, technology does not get to them, all the hospitals are getting aggregated and people have to travel 100 miles and so on. So again, I'll step off my soapbox, but I'm saying <laughs> these technologies would help some of these use cases. Uh, great point, Sanjay. And, and so one of the things that we like to do on the show is got the, as we end here, we build a leadership course, you and I, on this show. It's going to be the 101 course or the ABCs of Sanjay Joshi. I'm going to write up the syllabus with you with the lightning round. There are four questions. I'll ask them. You'll give me some brief answers, and then we'll finish it up with a book that you'll end end the syllabus with. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) Awesome. What is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Oh, wow. So I'll repeat some of the message I've, I've said. First, you need to ask the right questions. Second, you need to collect the data cleanly. Third, you need to be aware of biases. And fourth, you need to build a trust relationship with the population before they get sick. And finally, I would respect their privacy. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Oh, Lord. I'm a recovering scientist, so I've actually been (laughs) on the other side of the fence. I would say hubris. Don't think you know everything. 
mm. and bias. Always be aware that there's bias. We're human creatures. Love it. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Oh, what comes to mind right away is don't ever lose sight of your core values as an organization. And I would kind of expand it a little, little bit more to say most pharma companies have actually had two very important departments within their companies for as long as I can remember. They're called H-E-O-R, H-E-O-R and R-W-E. H-E-O-R stands for Health Economics and Outcomes Research, which is what your great podcast does, the outcome right. part. And the second part is RWE, real world evidence. There's a lot of noise out there. You know, how do you reduce the noise? And I would say build a parity, do the same thing for the chain that I'm going to talk about, which is the producer. The producer is either the biopharma companies or the government, the service providers or the physicians, and the consumers, the patient and the population. So have that same parity in health economics and operations uh, research and real world evidence in all these three buckets. That I talk. And what's one area of focus that should drive all else? For me personally or organization or generally? An organization that's looking or, or even a leader, you know, we, we, a lot of the listeners are leaders in healthcare. One area of focus that should drive all else? I would say try and reduce the complexity, both in process and understanding, so that patients can really understand complex things like genetics. That's a very hard thing to do, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> what book would you add here to the end of the syllabus, Sanjay? I already mentioned one. Dirt is good. Um, That's right. Me, I like that. So it's not one book per se. I'm, I, I read a lot. So I'll, I'll tell you what's, what I've read in the last year and what I'm reading, two of them that I'm reading now. Okay. In the last year, this is a great book, by the way. It's called The Violinist Thump. So violin, The Violinist Thump. And it's written like by th- Sam thump, Keen. Like a, like a th- thump, something? As in thumb, as in finger. Oh, thumb. Okay. I think the subtitle is something like Tales of Love and War and Genius as written by Genetics or something like that. That's the subtitle. It's written by a New York Times reporter. I think his name is Sam Keen, K-E-N-E, I believe. The second book is, again, my interest in the microbiome and how I believe that a pandemic disease will actually overtake cancer in the next 10, 20 years. The book is called Deadliest Enemy. It's about all the pandemic diseases, all the fevers we've had in the past. I, think, I believe the authors are Michael Osterholm and Mark Olshaker, something like that. Got it. The third book I believe I'm reading now is on the brain. So I'm very interested in the brain as well. The book is called Behave. And I believe the subtitle is The Biology of Humans at Our Best and Our Worst. So Sanjay, you're an avid reader and you know, I am as well. I heard a quote recently that the average executive reads about 50 to 75 books per year. Where are you in that number? I'm not books only. So uh, I'm blessed that both my previous company and my current company provide journal memberships to various journals, Nature Science. Oh, okay. Uh, my current tally, and I'm way behind, I used to try and read 10 clinical journal articles a week and probably a book a week. You're amazing. I love it. Got to stay on top of it. And how much of that do you do in uh, audio? I'm a visual guy. So my visual cortex is very good. And I I did a year of med school and I dropped out and I still remember all my stuff. (laughs) Do you? Wow. Amazing. uh, But they had dirty mnemonics. So that's probably why you remember. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, there we have it. Outcomes Rocket listeners, just some words of wisdom from Sanjay Joshi. And then also some really fantastic books here that he recommends. You are the average of your five closest peers. And so as you're listening to Sanjay and myself, hopefully you're taking some notes. And I know that there's always an opportunity to learn. We're always open to it. And so if you want to 
download some of the links to the resources that Sanjay mentioned, go to outcomesrocket.com slash Sanjay, and you'll find all the show notes as well as all of the links to the things that we've talked about, including Sanjay's profile and uh, h2o.ai and the things that they're doing there. Sanjay, before we conclude, let's have you share one closing thought and let the Outcomes Rocket listeners know where they could get in touch with you. <laughs> okay, so we had a discussion. I'm on LinkedIn, by the way, so if you can look me up. And we had a discussion, I believe one of the uh, New York Times reporters is doing a deep session on, on life. Now, what is life? So I had two quotes there. Uh, the first one came from the discoverer of the vitamin C pathway. Hmm. I believe his name is Albert Zent Georgi, if I pronounce it correctly. And he said that life is nothing but an electron looking for a place to rest. And if you've studied quantum physics and quantum chemistry, you'll really understand that well. Nice. We all want to get to our energy minima. So don't stress. And I would close by quoting John Lennon, who said that life is what happens between what you plan for it. <laughs> Love it. Love so, it. So anyway, so with that, you know, happy Friday. And again, I'm on LinkedIn. So if you want to connect with me, I'd be happy to chat with you guys. Sanjay, thanks so much for taking time to be on the show. I know that the listeners will definitely get a lot of pearls from the things that you've shared. So have a, have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you, Saul, and bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.